reading verses 36 through 38. And uh, we are now in our final message in our summer series on the mission of the church. And it has been electric for us, I believe, as we've been hearing from the Lord to lift up our eyes. And we want to do that one more time and see the world ripe and ready for harvest. And the title of my sermon today is The Mission Matters Because People Matter. And Jesus calls us to a great mission, but first the context of His his great missionary call to the church is couched in a context where we see His heart. Listen, listen. When He saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So far, the reading of God's word. And if you want to follow along, your sermon outline is in your program. And I want to begin by drawing your attention to one of the leading atheists in America today. He is a wonderful entertainer named Penn Gillette. Have any of you ever heard of Penn and Teller, uh, the, the show? They have a magnificent show in Las Vegas and in Hollywood, and it has, it's very funny and really has a wow factor to it. And Penn Gillette is one of uh, the most outspoken atheists who feels it's his mission to tell people not to believe in God anymore. And he's good at it. But he tells a story of about eight years ago when a man came to him after one of his shows and spoke to him. He said he was a businessman, a big man who uh, came up to him And the man said, I really enjoyed your show. I want you to know I'm not crazy, but I have a gift for you. And Gillette said, he handed me a Bible. And in the Bible, he wrote his name and his email address and his cell phone number. And he said, if you've never read this, I want you to read the New Testament and learn the life of Jesus because I find Jesus to be so beautiful and so compelling and attractive in the New Testament. And Penn Gillette, after he received that gift, he, he went to his computer and he does a video blog. I guess they're called V-blogs, right? And he just posts. He has many followers on his V-blog. And he talked about that event one night that this man came and proselytized him. Do you know that word, proselytize? It's an old-fashioned word that means this man came on a mission feeling that he was compelled by God on a mission to share Christ with him, to proselytize him. And Penn Jillette, and Roz, if you would bring that up on the screen, he, and uh, Mike, if you would turn down the overhead lights, he, um, do you have it, Roz? Yeah, um, let's start it back at the beginning. And listen to what he says. He actually shows respect for the man who came to him. Okay, do we have volume? And take it, there you go, hit play. 
And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Isn't that interesting? Penn Gillette, one of the leading atheists in America, he says, at least I have to tell you, I respect that man. And I affirm that if the church is going to be the church at all, they should be missional. Now, that's a word you know I love, the word missional. And I just want to remind you that the Bible teaches that the church is not just here to make itself feel good, but that we actually exist also for those beyond our walls, in the community around us. And Jesus Christ is a missional Savior, and He makes every one of you a missionary. Did you know that? He makes every one of us His ambassador. So this passage is one where Jesus says, Go into the harvest field. Pray that God sends His church, energizes His church into the harvest field. But before He says that, as we conclude this great series, I want you first, please, to see the heart of Jesus. Matthew's very clear on the stunning emotional intelligence that Jesus has. Have you ever heard this term, emotional intelligence? There's IQ, intelligence quotient, but there's also EQ, your emotional quotient. And social scientists today have begun to study very carefully what is not only called IQ, but EQ. Now, EQ is something that the Bible has been teaching and calling the people of God to have for centuries. This is nothing new to us. But social scientists, when they talk about emotional the emotional quotient in you are saying, are you a person who is skillfully aware of other people? And are you a person who is skillfully able to interpret the situation of other people? And are you a person who is then skillfully able to assess not only their situation, but to respond appropriately with your own emotions for what they're going through? And are you a person who is equipped to then act in a way that is constructive and helpful because of your EQ? Now, these social scientists, they, you know, they're, they're, they think that's great, and they're writing all about the stuff that the Bible has been teaching us in the fruit of the Spirit, you know, for centuries. But notice... Notice that what the social scientists call for in emotional quotient is right here in Jesus of Nazareth. 
as Jesus is now approaching one of the high points of his ministry and crowds are flocking to him, we are told the first stage of EQ is very clear in Jesus Christ. It says, he saw the crowds. Isn't that beautiful? He sees. Our Savior sees. Me, me, I'm busy with myself. I'm doing my own thing. I'm walking along with my head down, trying not to get in anybody's way. You know, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, but not Jesus. Jesus, Jesus sees people. He saw the widow of Nain. The Bible's very explicit. He saw the leper, the outcast. Our Jesus, that first step of emotional intelligence, is all in him. He's off the charts, isn't he? He saw them. And then it says he interprets their situation with other awareness. You see, that's, that's that, that ability, that second step. And what does he notice about them? He notices that they are harassed. He notices that they are helpless. And he has a phrase that comes from the Old Testament to describe people who are bearing a weight of guilt, who are scattered and frustrated and hurting. And the Old Testament phrase from Ezekiel and from 1 Kings is, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is able to understand you. Do you know that? In your world around you, everywhere you go, you young people in school. As you go to parents, as you go to PTA meetings, or as you go to a neighborhood block party, there are people who on the outside and give some sense of maybe I have it together, but you should know better. You should know better. Because everyone, my brother-in-law tells me this all the time. He says, rule number one, everybody has issues. Everybody is carrying baggage. They may have learned coping mechanisms that help them get by, but every person you meet is aching, is hurting, is frustrated inside. Just listen to talk radio. You ever listen to talk radio? Sometimes I listen to Sirius Left. That's the progressive left wing. Sometimes I listen to Sirius Right. Oh, it's so much fun to hear these people. And what do they sound like? They are angry. They are frustrated. They are bitter. They are hurting. They are just so distressed internally within themselves and so indignant. I don't care if you're left or right. Half the marriages in America today will struggle with divorce. A third of the children born today are born without two parents in the home. Thirteen million Americans, not just down-and-out people, 13 million Americans are alcoholics, gripped by mind-altering drugs and alcohol, narcotics, desperate to somehow comfort themselves because they are harassed and hurting and helpless. And they're all around us, my friends. Do you see them? The heart of Jesus is revealed to us. Jesus sees them, and he says they're hurting. They're like sheep without a shepherd. See, people matter to Jesus. And then he responds, that third step, he responds with the appropriate emotion. 
Now, what does it say Jesus feels? It's not just an intellectual exercise, but now Jesus, upon his own accurate interpretation of what they're going through, it says he's filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. Isn't that beautiful about Jesus? My. The Greek word there, splankanoi, it means from the liver or from the bowels or from the belly. You know, when we say he feels it in his guts, that's what this word means. And Jesus is moved with compassion. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest who is, is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Isn't that an extraordinary moment? In one of the most theologically intense passages of the Bible, it explains the priestly work of Jesus Christ as one who sympathizes with us in our weakness. That's our Jesus. Who has the highest EQ that the world has ever seen? It's Jesus of Nazareth, and He loves you. He feels for you. Do you know that? Some of us sitting in this room just would say, I wish I had some peace. I carry a load of regret. I'm frustrated at work. I'm frustrated in my marriage. I'm frustrated with my children. I'm frustrated with my parents. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and Jesus cares. This is the truth. I want you to feel that this morning. But I also want you to know that he feels it for the person sitting next to you. And he feels it for the person living next door to you. And the kid whose locker is next to yours in school. And the other young person on your soccer team or your baseball team. Jesus feels it for them. He looks out on the crowds. He sees them. He feels compassion for them because they are lost. And does Jesus respond appropriately? constructively? Oh, yes, he does. But this leads me to point number two, because the New Testament tells us that when Jesus sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd, he tells us he doesn't just feel bad for them. What does Jesus tell us? He says in John 10, verse 11, listen to John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, friends, are you like a sheep without a shepherd? Oh, friends, do you know people who are like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life, life for the sheep. And even deeper, as you read through the New Testament, you see that we're not just the ones who are harassed and helpless, but now we come to something very holy. The great exchange, the great exchange is that Jesus becomes harassed and helpless for you and for me. Did you know that? For on his way to the cross, what are we told at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? Have you ever read these words? Pontius Pilate examines Jesus Christ and, you know, face palm. He says, what has this guy done that's wrong? He's done nothing wrong. So Pontius Pilate says, Matthew 27, 23, to the crowd calling for his crucifixion. Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And then when they had crucified him, as the nails are in his hands, the nails are in his feet, the crown of thorns pressed 
deep, painfully into his forehead as he's bleeding and gasping for life. They're having a little gambling underneath at the foot of the cross, gambling for his clothes, this great indignity. And it goes on and it says, and those who passed by derided him, harassed him, wagging their heads. That's old-fashioned language for saying trash-talking at him. Mocking, spitting, blaspheming, insulting this shepherd who is harassed and helpless. But the great exchange, friends, goes beyond him just taking it on the chin for us. For there at the cross, the great exchange, what the Bible calls the imputation of our sin, is laid on him, credited to his account. The blood of Christ paying for my sins and the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account, given to me, his purity, his perfection, his love, given to me, credited to my account, to your account, to all who believe in him. This is the great exchange. This is the gospel. And the result is what? The result is another exchange. I had a ticket. And the ticket said, bound for hell, and I get a new ticket. And the new ticket says, admit this one to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, we're going to have a great banquet. We're going to have a great banquet in a few minutes. It's going to be wonderful. I hope you all come. Come on over and be with us. The food will be great. It'll be fun. It'll be good music. But that's, it's just nothing compared to the banquet the feast of the Lamb in heaven that is given to you. Romans 5 verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Harassed? Frustrated? Frightened? Yes. Come to Jesus and buy. Without money, we just sang it. Without money, come and receive his peace in your soul. My peace I leave you, he said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Jesus has made the great exchange. The great shepherd has come to you, his scattered sheep, and drawn you into his fold, welcomed you into his fold. And you are welcome. Hear him say you are welcome this morning. He's glad you are in his company today. But back to our text, and this leads us right into point three. How does he respond constructively in that situation? And it's so interesting because just like I told you, as his ministry seems to be moving into high gear and the crowds are coming, Jesus stops And he asks for prayer. Isn't that interesting? Can you see him turning to the crowd? He's, he's got these disciples, and there's men and women that have been following him around. And he says, can I tell you folks what's on my heart today? Sure, Jesus. What's on your heart? It's the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. 
The souls out there are hurting, guilty, struggling, harassed, and helpless. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. That's what Jesus does. Right now, he says, I'm going to ask you to pray. You pray for the harvest, will you? He says. The fields are white. They are ready. Lord, will you energize your church? Lord, will you equip your church to go out beyond these walls and step into the lives of men and women wherever they would be? And then you see yourself as a well, you see yourself as a missionary and the answer to prayer, to this very prayer. And I wonder if you have ever thought of that. Sure, Pastor John has sometimes asked you to pray, and he's even used this verse to pray. But have you ever thought that you are the answer to the prayer? Isn't that interesting? You, you are the ones that he sends out into the harvest field. When I visited my son Andrew out in uh, Iowa uh, not long ago, I went to church with him, and, and the preacher stood up and he said to the congregation, are we a 99 church or are we a one church? Does anybody know what he might have been referring to? He was referring to a parable that Jesus told at the end of Matthew 18, or in the middle of Matthew 18, where Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the, than the ninety-nine that never went astray. It is God's will, he says, that you go after them, go after them. You see, the sheep metaphor runs very deep into the heart of Jesus. North Shore Community Church, are we a 99 church or are we a one church? Who's the one in your life? Who's the one at work with you? Who's the one in your neighborhood? Who's the one in your family? Who's the one in your school? that the Lord is going to rejoice over when you bring them in to the fold. Here's this mission. We've seen the heart of Jesus. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you into the world. Do you hear that? Could it be any clearer? Could it be any more beautiful? And Elias and Christine read to us from 1 Corinthians 9, and then there is a refrain, there is a phrase that Paul now is repeating. He's, he's the chairman of the redundancy department of redundancy, um, I think, here. He repeats himself over and over. He says, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews, to those under the law, as one under the law, that I might win Hear that, those under the law. To those outside the law, 
I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became as the weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And this is the intentionality of our Jesus Christ. Some of you have children who play soccer. That's great. Happy that your kids play soccer. Soccer's good. The Bible says physical exercises of some value. But when you go to the soccer games with your kids, God did not call you to just stand there and talk about the Yankees. God did not call you to just stand there and talk about politics. Does anybody remember Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi together in a movie? I'm showing my age here. What was the movie? The Blues Brothers. And they're driving that big car down the road. And Dan Aykroyd turns to Belushi and says, We're on a mission from God. And that's how they feel, these two bumbling oaves. We're on a mission from God. Well, listen, when you're at the soccer game, standing on the sidelines, waiting for the game to be over, you're on a mission from God. When you go to the PTA meeting, you're not just there to talk about educational procedures, but you are there. May God give you the opportunity to spiral the conversation naturally, not as crazy. Pendulette said, don't give me your crazy. Christians, we're not crazy people. Don't come across as a nut. Pendulette, he respected that man because that man spoke clearly, honestly, honorably, faithfully to him with courage. Pendulette says, don't give me your crazy, give me your love, okay? But you are on a mission from God wherever you go, to whomever you speak. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, the choir, the Chamber of Commerce, wherever you go, your block party, your family reunion, you're on a mission from God. Pray and then believe that you are the answer to prayer. Oh, my friends, I just conclude with this. As we have done this series this wonderful series on the mission of the church, I have just become more and more optimistic. I'm optimistic. I really am. I'm optimistic for two reasons. I'm optimistic because I sense a growing dissatisfaction in our culture from secular people who no longer believe the, the, the promise of the glitter. People are finding that money isn't everything. People are finding that pleasure isn't everything. People are finding that alcohol bites like a viper. They are finding that their children really don't make them uh, uh, to be the super people they thought their kids were going to make them. They're finding emptiness. And they are ready. They are ready to hear the good news of the gospel that you, that you will bring to them. And the second reason I'm optimistic is because of this word missional. 
my word that I love missional to describe us. I think our church it really does get it. And I'm not here today to scold you. I'm here to encourage you that you're on the right track. I believe we understand that we are called to spiral those conversations with people around us and to turn them to the things of God in natural, sweet, and wonderful ways. I believe that. So, do you see the heart of Jesus today? The heart of Jesus is for those who are harassed and helpless. Have you, have you felt it for yourself? Today, I plead with you to believe He's your good shepherd. Have you ever come in? This is a great day for you to come in and to receive Jesus as your good shepherd. If you've never done that, as we close in prayer, would you invite him in? And for all of us, would you see yourself as the answer to the prayer? The fields are white for harvest. Offer yourself to him that you may take the gospel of Christ to your world. Let's pray, shall we? How grateful we are that you are the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Mocked, spit upon, harassed, beaten, crowned with dreaded thorns, You were harassed. You are you. You, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, you were made helpless. You made yourself helpless for us. And we worship you and we give you thanks and praise. And we would ask that you give us eyes to see our neighbors, our colleagues, our family members, our classmates that we would see them as you do. Would you give us that emotional intelligence to be freed from, help me at least, Lord, I will confess for me, to free me from my own massive self-preoccupation and begin to look and to see those who need you. And then make me the answer to this prayer. Make us all the answer to this prayer that the sheep will be brought in. Who is the one, Lord? Who is the one that we know? Give us the courage to speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship.